0: Hello and welcome to the AMA Update video and podcast series. Today, we have our weekly look at the headlines with the AMA's Vice President of Science, Medicine and Public Health, Andrea Garcia in Chicago. I'm Todd Unger, AMA's Chief Experience Officer, also in Chicago. Welcome back, Andrea.
1: Thanks, Todd. It's good to be here today.
0: We have a lot to talk about uh, from RSV uh, to changes at the CDC and so forth. Let's start off with this RSV vaccine news. Uh, which there's been a lot of over the last month. And since we last spoke, there's been yet another development. What's the latest news there?
1: Yeah, you're right. There has been a lot of uh, really encouraging news uh, around RSV vaccines lately. And that most recent news is last Wednesday, the FDA approved Pfizer's RSV vaccine for older adults. That's the second vaccine that's soon going to be available for this age group. We know that earlier last month, the FDA also approved an RSV vaccine from GSK for older adults. And then just a few weeks ago, it approved that first-ever vaccine to protect babies from RSV. Of course, these vaccines all need to be considered by the ACIP, which is CDC's advisory committee, and they'll be making a recommendation to the CDC director on appropriate use of each of these vaccines, and that committee... Is scheduled to meet on June 21st. Uh, like GSK, uh, Pfizer expects its vaccine to be available in the fall, which is just in time for RSV season.
0: Andrea, any differences between the two?
1: Well, both of these vaccines are comparable in terms of their effectiveness. Uh, an FDA review of Pfizer's vaccine showed that it was 86% protective, uh, protective against lower respiratory tract illness. Uh, with three or more symptoms, and a similar review of GSK's vaccine found that it was 83% effective. So, like with COVID, people will have vaccines to choose from uh, once they're widely available. This is excellent news. RSV carries that increased risk for older adults, and we know, based on the CDC data, that RSV results in, you know, between 60 and 160,000 hospitalizations each year, for those adults 65 and older and between six and 10,000 deaths each year as well.
0: Well, that is really good news. Uh, Andrea will keep an eye on uh, these vaccines and those upcoming recommendations from the CDC. RSV wasn't the only respiratory virus that was making headlines though this past week. A new report from the CDC got everybody talking about another virus. What do we need to know about that?
1: So CDC released a report at the end of May saying that cases of a virus known as human metanumovirus or HMPV were higher than normal last winter and spring. That peak occurred in mid-March with nearly 11% of PCR tests uh, showing a positive HMPV diagnosis and more than 19% of antigen tests were also positive for HMPV. Uh, to provide some context in the months leading up to the pandemic, that percentage for HMPV-positive results were really between 4 and 7%. So uh, that was really quite an uptick that we're seeing. HMPV is a lesser-known virus, but it's certainly been getting a lot more attention uh, after that CDC report. Uh, it's a paramyxovirus, so it's like RSV, measles, and mumps. For most people who get it, though, it's gonna feel like a common cold. They'll experience symptoms like nasal congestion, cough, shortness of breath, and fever.
0: You know, a lot of friends were kind of suffering from mysterious illnesses over the course of the past uh, uh, fall and uh, not, a, you know, couldn't identify what it was. So maybe, maybe it was that. There's been obviously a big increase. Do we know what is driving an increase like this?
1: could be really a couple of factors at play here. And uh, we know that COVID testing has declined overall. But as a country, we're really more focused on identifying the cause of any respiratory illness uh, than we were before. And pre-pandemic, if someone experienced cold-like symptoms, they might have just shrugged it off. But now they're more likely to go to their doctor and get tested. And uh, so this more regular testing has made it easier for us to identify these trends that we're seeing in things like RSV and HMPV. Um, they're also needing a timing component to it, uh, like with the spike in RSV cases. Um, it was last year when people really started to emerge from the pandemic. And before that, we know people had been masking more consistently and staying home. Now they're masking less and going out more. And as a result, you know we could be seeing this resurgence of some infectious diseases.
0: Now, we have a rather long list of viruses that we're worrying about right now. Is HMPV one that we need to be extra vigilant about?
1: Well, it's it's certainly something that we'll continue to keep an eye on, but, for the most part, it's mild, and it's not a cause for concern. I think, with, with that being said, like RSV, uh, it can have more serious consequences for young children, for older adults, for those who are immunocompromised. In general, though, It's a virus that we've been living with for decades. We're accustomed to it. And while there's no vaccines uh, available, physicians uh, are prepared to help patients treat their symptoms um, and recovery uh, time is typically three to seven days.
0: Well, good. I'm gonna put that in the not worry about column on the virus uh, sheet. Andrea, thanks so much for that overview. Medicine doesn't stand still. And at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org movingmedicine. In more CDC-related news, though, there's been some early talk about who's going to be the new head of the CDC. What can you tell us there?
1: Yeah, so the White House has not yet made any official announcements, but the media is reporting that President Biden plans to select Dr. Mandy Cohen to lead the CDC. She would, of course, replace Dr. Rochelle Walensky, who's stepping down on June 30th. Dr. Cohen's an internal medicine physician. She was formerly the North Carolina health secretary, and she'd really bring her experience at both the state and federal level to the position. So prior to uh, her role in North Carolina, Uh, She served in the Obama administration and was a senior official at CMS. She helped oversee federal health insurance programs that provided coverage to more than 140 million people. And actually, last year, the AMA presented Dr. Cohn with the AMA Award for Outstanding Government Service for her leadership through the COVID-19 pandemic and her tireless work to close the coverage gap in her state. So we'll definitely be sure to check back on this once there are more details available.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that transition. Another issue that's been making headlines is Medicaid. Earlier this year, a pandemic era policy that prohibited states from removing people from the program expired. And now we're starting to see the full impact of that change. Andrea, tell us more about what's happening there.
1: Yeah, so that early data shows that, in recent weeks, hundreds of thousands of people have lost their Medicaid coverage at the start of the pandemic, Congress had passed that Families First Coronavirus Response Act, uh, which included a provision that Medicaid programs must keep people enrolled. As you noted, that provision expired earlier this year on March 31st. So far, we've seen at least 19 states starting to remove people. Uh, In Arkansas, 73,000 people lost coverage in April alone. Uh, That same month, 250,000 people lost coverage in Florida. And you think while we don't know the exact total of how many people will lose coverage, the federal government is projecting that'll be around 15 million people who will be affected. Uh, early data shows that many people uh, may lose coverage due to procedural reasons, uh, such as not returning their paperwork to verify their eligibility, uh, or the state wasn't able to contact them. Uh, so people uh, that were dropped could still qualify Um, However, for others, this change has really left them with no choice but to look for other coverage
0: options. Well, thank you, Andrea. This is just the beginning of a big change that I'll no doubt uh, be hearing more about in the months to come. Uh, To close out the week, there's new research in JAMA that's been sparking a lot of discussion, weight loss surgery among children and teens. Uh, This is a, uh, a new thing we've been reading about. Is it a trend as we emerge from the pandemic? What's going on there?
1: Yeah, so that, that data was published in JAMA Pediatrics, and that number of metabolic and bariatric surgeries in kids ages 10 to 19 has been on the rise since 2016. So it was definitely a trend we were seeing even before the pandemic. Uh, even during the pandemic, the weight loss surgeries among youth jumped 19 percent between 2020 and 2021. And during that same time period, surgeries among adults increased 24 percent.
0: Well, we know that obesity is an ongoing health problem in the U.S. and affects about one in five children and teens, according to the CDC. Why are more people turning to surgery now as a treatment for it? And is it safe uh, to have it so young?
1: Yeah. so that study noted that traditionally these procedures have been underutilized due to a lack of access and for insurance coverage but also a low rate of referral from pediatricians. And earlier this year, we saw the American Acadio- Academy of Pediatrics publish new guidelines for the treatment of obesity. And for that, for, for the first time, those guidelines provided that teens age 13 and older with so- severe obesity should be evaluated for metabolic and bariatric surgery. Uh, This study notes that in the case of severe obesity, behavioral interventions do not result in long-term, clinically important weight loss.
0: Well, I'm sure we'll continue to hear more about that as well. Andrea, that wraps up our episode today. Thanks so much for joining us. Next week is the AMA's annual meeting of the House of Delegates, so we'll be back with another episode the following week on June 21st. In the meantime, you can find all our episodes at ama-assn.org slash podcasts. Have a good week. Thanks for joining us. Please take care.